If you would take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. We're going to continue this morning in the Gospel of Mark. And then next Sunday I plan to uh, bring a message uh, dealing with Christmas. And uh, the next uh, three Sundays actually. But uh, for this this Sunday, today, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. And as you're turning there, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to do so. Uh, Mark chapter 14, we'll read verses 32 uh, down through verse 42. Uh, Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. And the Word of God says, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. He taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. He went forth forward a little, and fell on the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he had returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. Our Father, thank you for the holy word of God that we just read. Thank you, Lord, for the uh, privilege to read it publicly. And God, I pray that you would guide and direct during this time. Lord, I um, unusually feel uh, more than usual uh, the need that I have for you today. Um, Lord, this, this passage is, a, is a, a weighty passage. God, I pray you'd help me today to explain it and articulate it in a way that is true to uh, the Word of God. And Lord, that is um, something that we can take with us and apply to our lives today. I pray that you would help us to focus in on, on your Word and your will for our lives. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I want to start with a quick survey, especially for the men. Uh, how many of you, um, when you were younger, uh, were involved uh, in the or on the wrestling team? Would you raise your hand? Okay, so several wrestlers in the room today. My hand is actually lifted with yours. Believe it or not, a little known fact about me is I was on the uh, wrestling team for a little bit of time. I never participated in any matches at all, but I did go through a lot of the training until I got injured in uh, football, which 
football and wrestling kind of overlapped and I got hurt in football and so that hindered my uh, wrestling career um, because I had high hopes of you know being the next Hulk Hogan. Um, I, I, I know that I look like I could have been uh, but um, okay well here's the deal I, I have a ton of respect for those who go on to wrestle and to do and to succeed in it. Um, it's it's a that sport requires a lot of uh, coordination. It, it requires an incredible amount of strength, speed, and endurance, mental quickness. And uh, when I was doing it, about the only person I could actually beat in wrestling was my little brother, who's four and a half years younger than I was, and still is. But um, he was like at that point, I guess um, I was about fourteen, fifteen. He was about ten years old, so I was about to. I, I was able to take him out pretty easy. Uh, but he was about the only person I could. Everybody else was, was stronger. Well, when it comes to wrestling, many have wrestled with God over a lot of different things in the past. I think even in the scriptures, we read about Jacob who wrestled with God in Genesis chapter number 32. Saul of Tarsus, no doubt, wrestled with the conviction of sin. And, uh, and then there's countless Christians, including myself, in the past who have wrestled with God over various decisions. But here, as we consider the struggle that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's not as though Jesus was wrestling with His Father because they were one in unity. There was indeed a struggle with what He was about to face as He faced the cross. And as I said, this morning we come to a very sacred section of Scripture, all of it is, but as it highlights here what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane, it is a very sobering passage of Scripture for sure. Um, because here we have the fact that redemption's plan was getting close to being completed, and it was right up to the precipice of when Jesus was about to be sacrificed on the cross. And I would say that probably most of us, if not every one of us, have struggled with a looming decision or a coming event. Uh, maybe it was um, an upcoming surgery. Um, I've never actually been in surgery. Um, I'm thankful for that truth. I don't ever want to ever have a surgery. Uh, I'd rather the rapture happen before that takes place. I've had some dental stuff, but that's, that's uh, I've never been put to sleep, and um, I, I don't ever want to do that. So I can understand some of the anxiety that may be there. Uh, or perhaps a meeting that you're not looking forward to that's been on the calendar, and it's like, oh boy, this is going to be a doozy of a meeting. But uh, I know we need to have it. I just am not looking forward to it. And uh, perhaps that struggle was there. Well, Jesus knows exactly what that's like because he faced something far worse than anyone of us can even come close to comprehending. And yet he did so. He went forward with it for you and for me. So Jesus makes his way to the garden just hours before he became the sacrifice for our sins. And there are three aspects to this struggle in the garden that I want to examine uh, this morning. And uh, I hope that we'll learn some things as we go through this passage of Scripture. 
And again, I'm not going to explain it perfectly. Um, I don't know that anyone can explain it perfectly because there's so much here that we don't understand the, uh, the tension that Jesus was feeling exactly because he was and is God and we are not. Um, and for what he was about to face, it, it's, it's impossible to really grasp it all for sure. But let's, let's look at these, um, these three aspects to the struggle in the garden uh, this morning. First of all, let's notice here that there was tremendous sorrow. Tremendous sorrow. In uh, the Bible records in verse uh, 33, it says, He taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy and then here's the words that come out of the mouth of our Savior in verse 34. My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Uh, the Bible records that Jesus began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. What, what does that mean? Um, it was, sore amazed means it, almost like he was stunned. Um, with the amount of weight that was on him. And again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come short in explaining all of this because um, I, I, I'm, I, don't really, I don't think anybody can really understand what Jesus as God was facing there as he was looking to the cross. Uh, we know as humans what we uh, feel when we're facing something very difficult, as I mentioned, a surgery or an upcoming meeting, Those are, or, or, or going to someone's house that so you're like, boy, I don't know how this is going to go. Um, but, but here Jesus was, was facing something that, that no man has ever faced. And, and the Bible says he was sore amazed. And remember, uh, the Apostle Peter is the one who uh, was uh, talking with Mark, who was the human author of this gospel. And I, I, I can't help but think that Peter was like, boy, there was something majorly different about Jesus as he went into the Garden of Gethsemane this time. By the way, this wasn't the first time that Jesus went to the Garden to pray. This was a common, uh, this was a place that he oftentimes went to. But, but there was something about the time that he, when he was going to the Garden of Gethsemane that, that Peter was like, Mark, you need to say something about the fact that he was sore amazed. I mean, and, and, and he was very heavy. And we hear that word in our culture and we're like, you know, did he have a little too many burritos or too many, uh, you know, too much pizza? No, no, no. It, it, it doesn't have to do with the, the physical weight. It meant the, the fact that he was under heavy distress. You, you've ever been stressed out about something? Uh, you haven't been stressed out like the Lord was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. But it was a different stress than you and I face. Sometimes our stress is because we're not trusting God. Uh, enough, and, uh, and, and here that wasn't the case for Jesus. He was under the weight of what was about to happen. And, and, and if you think about it for a second, since Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, where it's the, God gave the promise that a Messiah would come, and for all those years was leading up to this moment, this hour, and Jesus is recognizing that his entire life was about ready, uh, you know, the, the purpose of why he came uh, there in Bethlehem's manger. And we, we celebrate the fact that he was born to die. Well, he was about ready to do that. 
And it was all coming to this, this, this moment. And, and, and there was tremendous sorrow. He said in verse 34, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. In fact, Jesus was in such sorrow and agony that, that Luke actually records in his gospel in, in chapter 22 and verse 44, it says, In being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So as he prayed there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in such sorrow, he was in such agony that um, his, the, the surface uh, vessels actually popped there. And uh, I did a little research on uh, what that uh, medical condition is called. And uh, here, I'll just read this here. A thorough search of the medical literature demonstrates that such a condition, while admittedly rare, does occur in humans. Commonly referred to as hematidrosis or hemohydrosis, this condition results in the excretion of blood or blood pigment in the sweat. Under conditions of great emotional stress, Tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can rupture, thus mixing blood with perspiration. This condition has been reported in extreme instances of stress. During the waning years of the 20th century, 76 cases of hematidrosis were studied and classified into categories according to the causative factors. The most frequent causes of this phenomenon were found to be acute fear, which by the way, I don't think Jesus was afraid but also intense mental contemplation. I think that that would be a little more of what I would say that Jesus was dealing with there. Now, while the extent of blood loss is generally minimal, hematidrosis also results in the skin becoming extremely tender and fragile and really sensitive, which would have made Christ's coming physical injuries even more painful as he was scourged, as he had the crown of thorns placed on his skull, as he was nailed to the cross. But he was under such sorrow. And we, and we know that he was experiencing tremendous sorrow, so much that we really can't grasp it with our finite minds. The, the sorrow that you have ever felt in your life still pales in comparison to what Jesus was dealing with there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I don't know that I can adequately explain the amount and to the extent that he felt that sorrow, but we know it was tremendous. But, but why was he so sorrowful? What would make him sorrow so much so where he said in verse 34, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death? Well, why would he say that? Well, as I said a moment ago, that the time has come for Jesus to become sin for us. And again, I can't explain the gravity of this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, also that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So you see, Jesus, who knew no sin, who only knew pure things, who only knew holiness, who only knew righteousness, was about to become 
my sin. And friend, I have a lot of it. And I know some of the sins that I've committed. And he, in that moment, was about ready to become those sins, all the lies, all the lustful thoughts, all the bad things that I have said, all, the, all, the, all of it. He became it all. But it wasn't just my sin. He became yours too. And the sins of the whole world. In that moment, he became sin for us. So as Jesus is there in the garden and recognizing the fact that he's about to become sin, no doubt he was exceeding sorrowful unto death. No doubt he was sore amazed. No doubt he was very heavy. And again, there's no way for us to completely understand the weight of this truth. In fact, I like what J. Vernon McGee said about this. He said, he faces here a travail of soul that was as great, if not greater, than the suffering of the body on the cross. Did he face the tempter again here in the garden? I think he did, McGee says. And then McGee goes on to say, I must be very frank and say that we can only stand here on the fringe. There are mysteries in the garden that we cannot understand. And so for you who are hoping to get a full picture and full understanding of uh, the Garden of Gethsemane this morning, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but if J. Vernon McGee can't do it, certainly Eric Johnson can't do it. And uh, I don't think anyone can. Because only Jesus knows what it was like to go through that. But his penetrating awareness of the heinous nature of sin, its destructive and deadly effects, the sorrow and heartache that it inflicts, and the extreme measure necessary to deal with it makes this passion of Christ beyond comprehension. And this, um, this tremendous sorrow shows the humanity side of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God all at the same time. This aspect here, showed his humanity. And, and, and look at verse number, uh, notice verse number 35. You can see this tremendous sorrow displayed in his actions. He went forward a little. So leaving Peter, James, and John. So he took the 11. Remember Judas had left at this point. He takes the 11 with him to the garden, and then he takes Peter, James, and John a little further into the garden, but then he leaves them at a spot and says, hey, you stay here, you watch and pray. And then he goes a little further, the Bible says. And then notice what it says in verse 35, and he fell on the ground. And I, I was studying that out, and it was almost like he, he, was, he was like glued there on the ground. It was like a continual falling. Even though he was already on the ground, he continued to fall. He was under such sorrow that he fell to the ground and he prayed if it were possible the hour might pass from him. So while we cannot fully grasp it, there was tremendous sorrow. But I want us to see number two here, and I love this one. There was total surrender. In spite of the sorrow, in spite of the challenge that laid before him, he still decided to surrender. And as Jesus is facing the cross and the heavy weight of becoming our substitute for sin, he asks if there is another way. Verse 36, 
He said, Abba, Father. And again, when we see the word Abba, that's like our vernacular for Papa or Daddy. It's a term of endearment and a, like a childlike uh, love for their father. And here he says, Daddy, Abba, Father. And then he uh, acknowledges the fact of God's omnipotence and says, All things are possible unto thee, but take away this cup from me. Is there another way? Is there, is there another way that doesn't require me to become sin and for you to turn your back on me? And, and uh, is there another way? But silence came from heaven. Because you see, there was no other way. See, the perfect Lamb of God had to be sacrificed on the cross. The blood had to be shed. His life had to be taken. This was the only way for redemption's plan to be completed. This was the only price that was acceptable for salvation, for, for salvation to be paid for. And then, at the end of verse 36, Jesus surrenders totally to the will of His Father. Verse 36, Nevertheless, not what I will, but will thou, or what thou wilt. And then we have the victory cry of the cross in John 19 and verse number 30, where Jesus cried out after being on the cross for six hours. When he cried out in John 19:30, it is finished. But you see, that victory cry would have never been given had Jesus not surrendered to the will of the Father the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane. But victory followed surrender. Now, this doesn't make sense to us in our natural thought process. In, in football, for instance, you do not get a point in the win column if you lose the game. You don't. You get a big fat L for loser. But with God, when you give in to Him and let Him win, not only does God win, but so do you. Amen. And when Jesus here said, Father, it's not what I want in my humanity, but in my, in my faithfulness, in my unity with you, I want to do the will of God. I want to do the will of my Father. And with that, He ultimately won. And guess what? We ultimately won as well because of that decision. Consider the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Remember when he had been kicking against the pricks? God was pricking his heart with conviction, and he continued to fight against that conviction. But one day, on his way to persecute more Christians in Damascus, Saul of Tarsus waved the white flag of surrender and said, Lord, what will I have me to do? I, I give up. And you know what? Guess who won in that moment? It was the uh, Saul who uh, God changed his name to Paul and became the Apostle Paul who ended up writing uh, a good chunk of the New Testament. Who, who ended up winning in that moment? Yes, God did. But so did Paul. So did all the Christians and the churches that he helped establish after that conversion. 
And by the way, you and I are also still winning because we are benefiting from the truth that Paul was given by the inspiration to write down. So victory follows surrender. So can I ask you this question? What victory waits on the other side of your surrender to the will of God? Is there something in your life that God has been pricking your heart like the like Saul of Tarsus? There's been some pricks. He's been pricking your heart and saying, hey, you need to do this. You need to do this. And you've been going, yeah, no, no. And you've got all your reasons. And you're like, hey, I'm German. I'm supposed to be stubborn. Like it's part of my DNA. I'm supposed to not want to follow and submit and surrender. What, what area in your life has been God pinpointing and saying, hey, you need to do this, and you're like, no, and you've been fighting God? What area are you struggling to surrender to God in? There may be somebody here who God's been saying, hey, you need to get saved. You've heard the gospel so many times. You've been in church for a lot of time, and you've never, ever trusted Christ as your Savior. Today, can I encourage you to surrender to Him in, in the area of salvation? Please come to Christ and be born again. Don't, don't go another day, because look, none of us are guaranteed another day. So, if you've been struggling to surrender to God in the area of salvation, surrender today. Maybe God wants you to start serving Him. Maybe young people, God wants you to surrender your life, to serve Him with your life, maybe as a missionary, maybe in the ministry in some way, shape, or form. Uh, can I encourage you? Stop fighting God in it. And surrender and wave the white flag. And guess what? When you do, victory follows surrender when it comes to the will of God. Maybe somebody who's been saved and not yet been baptized. Stop fighting God in it. Stop worrying about, oh, my hair's going to get messed up. Take it from me. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> Whenever it rains, my hair gets way messed up. It's so embarrassing. Let's not let little petty, vain things cause us to not do the will of God. Don't do it. Instead, surrender to the will of God. Maybe you've been coming here for a while, the cornerstone, and God's been saying, hey, you need to make that decision to go ahead and make this official and join the church. And to be committed to this congregation and to come underneath the authority of the local church and to have a commitment and accountability. Uh, God's been pinpointing that in your life, and you've been like, well, you know, no thanks. Can I encourage you to surrender to the will of God today? Is there something in your life that you need to forsake, a sin, or maybe even just a weight? Nothing necessarily wrong with it, but it's hindering you from the work of God and from doing what God wants you to do. Can I encourage you to fully surrender to the will of God? There's a uh, familiar story of the captain of the ship who looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. And immediately, he told his signal man to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Well, promptly, a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. Well, this didn't sit well with the captain. Who does he think he is? 
So the captain was angered, and he commanded his command to be ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Well, soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman, third class Jones. Immediately the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear that it would evoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came, Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse, and I'm not changing. I can't change. So here's the deal. You can keep arguing with God. God, you need to alter your course in my life. But the thing is, God is the rock of ages, and he doesn't change. He's not moving. So you keep arguing with God, but... I guarantee you're not going to win that argument. And, and I'm telling you, you, you keep arguing with God and, and giving him all the reasons why you can't do what he's pinpointing you to do. You might say, well, I won the argument. God didn't make me do what, I, what he wanted me to do. Yeah, but guess who ended up losing? You may think you won, but actually you lost. You lost out on the victory that came after the surrender. So, my friend, please, don't, don't, don't forgo the victory that comes after the surrender because you're too stubborn, because you're uncomfortable about moving forward in the next step. Jesus, as he faced something that none of us can quite really understand, was willing in that moment to say, I am going to surrender. And because of that surrender, great victory followed. Take it from the Lord Jesus. You will never regret surrendering to the will of God. It really is the very best possible option for your life. So stop fighting and surrender to him today. A man by the name of Judson uh, Van Deventer. He was raised in a Christian home. And at age 17, he accepted Christ as his Savior. Well, he graduated university with a degree in art and was employed successfully as a teacher and administrator of high school art. He traveled extensively, visiting the various art galleries throughout Europe. Well, Van Deventer also studied and taught music. And he mastered 13 different instruments, sang and composed music. He was very involved in the music ministry of his church and eventually found himself at a crossroad. Uh, one, one, one path uh, was for his successful teaching career, and another path was his desire to be part of the ministry. And the struggle within himself lasted for almost five years. So he kept fighting it. There was, there was evident desire that God had put in his heart and, and direction to serve the Lord in the ministry, but then there was also, well, I am, could be very successful and make some money and make a name for myself in art. For five years, he struggled in his own garden. Well, in 1896, Van Deventer was conducting the music of a church event. And it was during these meetings that he finally surrendered his desires totally to God. He made the decision to become a full-time evangelist. 
And as he submitted completely to the will of his Lord, a song was born in his heart. What were the words to this special song? All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. See, this man, Deventer, came to the point where he said, you know what, I'm going to stop fighting. That, that tension is too much in my life. I'm just going to wave the white flag of surrender. And guess what? He ended up winning the greatest victory of his life. The victory of knowing that he was doing the will of God for his life. So, if I'm speaking to somebody today who's had this tension in your life because you've been fighting something, God's been working in your heart, and you're like, nope, nope, nope. You can't have it, God. Get the sewing machine out and sew yourself a white flag. Make it big. Put it on a big flagpole. And say, God, I surrender to you. All to you I freely give. And you know, he freely gave to us. So it's not asking too much for him to ask us to give back to him. And I'm thankful, again, what exactly went on here between Jesus and his Father in this prayer, I don't exactly know. I don't think it's really for us to know, other than what the Word of God says. And he prayed it once in verse 36, in uh, verse number 39, he went, and again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. He prayed it again. All things are possible unto me. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what, what thou wilt. Which goes to show that there may be times where we need to surrender again. When maybe we want to pick up our will again. And Lord... Actually, no, not, not what I want. It's what you want that matters most. So what area are you struggling to surrender to God in? Whatever it is, maybe it's you need to forgive someone. And God's been saying, hey, you need to forgive that person. You need to go talk to that person. You need to make that right. And you keep shutting the door, shutting the door. I'll share this. It's not in my notes. So, um, fair warning on that one. But there was something that took place in my life. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not comfortable giving the details on it, but there was something that took place in my life um, right after college. Uh, something I did wrong. And for years, God has said, Eric, you need to get that right. You need to deal with that. For years, I said, yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. Nope. I'm German. I can out-stubborn you, God. God kept saying, Eric, every, t every once in a while I'd hear a sermon, and it would bring it right back up, God would. Eric, you need to deal with that. And I had to make a phone call and get it settled. And I'm telling you, 
the victory that came after that surrender in my heart. Oh, wow. I mean, I felt like 800 pounds before that phone call, but I felt like an ounce after that one. I mean, I was like, wow, I'm so light. Literally. There was a struggle in my heart for a long time. Don't be like me and wait that long. If you've been struggling with something with God, can I be obedient? Surrender to Him. Jesus did in this very difficult struggle. And I'm so glad that He did. One last uh, aspect of the struggle in the garden I want to look at very quickly. So there was tremendous sorrow, there was total surrender. But sadly, there were three sleeping. There were three sleeping in the garden. Okay, so in the midst of this intense struggle that Jesus was having in the Garden of Gethsemane, there were three others who struggled too, but only their struggle was with sleep, which some of you have been struggling with this morning in this message. And their struggle was very relatable. They were struggling with sleep. Verse 37 says, And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, saith unto Peter, Simon. It's interesting that he doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon in that moment. Sleepest thou, couldst thou not watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Verse 39, he went and, and, and prayed and again, spake the same words. When he returned, he found them asleep again. You would have thought they would have kind of got the message, being rebuked by Jesus for sleeping. But yet, after he goes, they kind of, they nod off again. And then verse 41 says, He cometh the third time, saith unto them, sleep on now. He goes back and finds them asleep for the third time. And remember when, uh, verse 33, when Mark pointed out that Jesus began to be very heavy? Well, he wasn't the only one who was dealing with heaviness. In verse number 40, it says, their eyes were heavy. <laughs> uh, different, different heaviness, though. Um, and ha ha have you ever been there uh, where your eyes are just, your eyelids are just like, feels like a 30-pound weight on each of them, and they're like, it just has to close. Um, this happens to my wife every time we, we she wants to watch a movie at like 9 o'clock, and 10 minutes into it, she's completely out. We're like, I thought you wanted to watch this movie. I did, but she just sits down and all of a sudden she falls asleep. Now, um, here's the deal. It's easy to be critical of these three sleepers in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, when Jesus was in such sorrow, I mean, how could they? He, he selects these three special men for the sacred time. He specifically instructs them to sit and pray, and then they nod off. But the truth is, I enjoy sleep as well. In fact, if napping was an Olympic sport, I probably would be a multi-gold medalist. And I would take anybody on in a nap contest, okay? I would whoop anybody in here. Um, and, and, I'm not, and, I, and, I'm not speaking, and I'm not speaking modestly here, okay? <laughs> um, now, sleeping is obviously natural, healthy, and necessary, but like anything, too much can produce negative results. And 
In the book of Proverbs, we see that um, slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. hunger. Um, Proverbs 20 and verse 13 says, Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. And again, there is a time for sleep. And I'm looking forward to this afternoon where hopefully I will get to sleep. I would encourage you to do the same and then come back afresh and, and alert for tonight's message. But in the New Testament, believers are called to awake to righteousness and to be alert to what is going on around us. Romans 13 says, In that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night's far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the work of darkness and put on the armor of light. Uh, we're called to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. There are a lot of believers who may be awake physically, but spiritually they are sleeping. I'll encourage us to be spiritually alert and awake to what's going on around us. And physically, obviously, too much sleep uh, can cause some bad things as well. Um, but I want to encourage us to learn from the disciples here, who these three sleepers. Uh, you, you think about this for a second. Peter was literally just told, in, in last Sunday's message, if you were here, he was literally told in verse number 30 that he would deny the Lord three times. And instead of watching and praying and being concerned about that, he was snoozing. He was like, yeah, no big deal. It's been a long day. I'm exhausted. And, and no doubt these disciples were. They had just heard some heavy stuff. They're in the upper room. John chapter 13 through um, 16 all go through what, what, what Jesus taught them. And it was some heavy stuff. And, and it had been a long day of walking and, and ministry and all of it. But, but the, the fact remains, uh, the Lord told them to sit while I pray. And they couldn't do that. And then he said, watch and pray. And they couldn't do that. Now, the Lord gave him some, the, the disciples some instructions in verse number 38 here. Watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. As we face temptations in this life, can I encourage us to remember the words of instruction here to watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation? Let's be aware you say, well, I'm usually tempted with this particular sin at this particular moment and time in my life. That's the time to be aware, to watch, and then to be praying that you enter not into that temptation. Hey, if it was good enough for Jesus to share that with Peter, it's good enough for all of us to receive that as well. So as we deal with temptation, let's watch and pray. Because, yeah, our spirit wants to do right, but the flesh sometimes is very weak. Let me wrap this up here with this thought. While it's impossible for us to fully understand all that took place there in the Garden of Gethsemane, thank God that the Lord Jesus surrendered to the will of God. And because He did, He would later be crucified on the old rugged cross and die for our sins. He was later buried in a borrowed tomb, and then three days later, praise the Lord, up from the grave He arose. And one of the greatest end results of all of that is that our redemption has been paid. Salvation's price has been paid. Nothing else needs to be done. It's all been done. 
We simply need to repent of our sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will be saved. So, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, can I encourage you today to place your faith in Him? There's only one way to heaven. It's not through being a good person. It's not through being a member of Cornerstone Baptist Church. Nope. The only way that a person gets to heaven is by placing their faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that's why he did that. That's why he said, yes, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And thank God Jesus surrendered to the will of God, and may each and every one of us be willing to surrender to the will of God in our own lives. Because of the blessings on the other side of that decision, the victories that come after that surrender. So let's surrender to Him today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.